Welcome to Local Selection, the podcast on a quest to make local representation sexy. I'm Brian Hastert, and our guest today is the first current high school student ever to be elected to the Boise School Board, Shiva Rajvandari. This was such a fun conversation. I just want to let you know up front that I legit learned a ton. And I left energized that we can accomplish real things, important things, no matter where we are, if we organize. So, you know, consider yourself warned. I am not going to be able to explain anything to you in this intro better than Shiva does himself during our talk. Shiva Rajbandari was elected this past September to the Boise School District Board of Trustees. He had turned 18 years old just days prior to the election, making him legally able to hold the office. And in so doing, he became the first person currently enrolled in high school to serve on the governing body that oversees public education in his community. Now, I'd like you to put this in the context of our previous episode. Kurt Thigpen, himself a boundary-breaking school board trustee, went in with an agenda to help make schools more accepting and supportive of students' mental health. And he was met with such a vicious and violent antagonism that he was forced to resign his position. And as you may or may not know, Idaho is kind of the epicenter of the brand of extremism that forced Kurt out of office in Nevada. So this is what Shiva knowingly took on. As a society, we don't talk much about school boards. They're just not really covered on the news. Do you know the name of anyone serving on your local school board? If not, don't feel bad. Very few Americans do. But you should know that the issues you care most about are being dealt with by your school board right now. Education, sure, yeah, obviously. But, for example, here are Shiva's top three issues to address during his term. Climate change, mental health, and combating extremism. Do you care about any of those things? Well, public schools and the hundreds of millions of dollars your community spends on them each year are the nexus for these ginormous issues and more. Whatever matters to you nationally or even internationally, your school board is where you can actually impact that thing. Again, Shiva will unpack all this for you. But before we even get into all that, you're going to hear a lot of talk about salmon. Why? Well, <laughs> just, just trust me. It's going to make sense, and, and you are going to want to hear all of it. This episode's Imagination Theater, it's, um, it's a little embarrassing. This is the first interview I have done in a long time that wasn't live and in person, and my Zoom recording skills have atrophied badly. Full disclosure, I recently got some new AirPods, and <laughs> like a dummy, I assumed that they would sound good. And I was wrong. So, whatever. Let's just... Um, Let's set the scene a little bit all the same. So imagine the two of us, Shiva and I, in our respective houses, staring at our respective computers, my house, kitchen, orange light, dog in the other room, being quiet, thankfully. Shiva's mom occasionally walks by in the background. She doesn't say anything. Like me, she knows enough to let Shiva do the talking. I think Idaho is, uh, like, seriously one of the most beautiful states in the country, one of the most beautiful places on earth. And um, there's so much potential here. And people, I think, so frequently just dismiss dismiss us because, you know, because 
uh, the, the backwards things that, that make the headlines when they're really, there's so much more. Um, I have so many questions for you. And can I also just say, I I'm like so excited to talk to you. I have watched several videos of you speaking publicly and read so many oh. articles and <laughs> I am blown away by I mean, you were speaking at age 16 in a public forum to government officials in a way that is more like cohesive and intelligent than I, I think I probably could do right now at this point in my life. <laughs> so this is really fun. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's Idaho education for you. People, people <laughs> try to knock us down, but it's like my teachers got me there, right? So. I mean, yeah. Is everybody in Idaho schools like you? Are you just like a product of your environment in that way? I mean, honestly, I would say more than people think, for sure. I think, you know, my friends and I have been organizing since like ninth grade, and it's always been, it's always been more than just one person. It's always been this community thing. Um, and so the attention is like a little bit weird because it's like, it's like I'm just another, just another Boise High kid doing his thing. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. You guys, like, you think I'm cool? You should see my friends. Um, I, I have so many questions I want to ask, but I need to start with this. I have it written in a note somewhere. The youth salmon protection thing? Is protectors. That... Youth salmon protectors. Yeah. Youth salmon protectors. Okay. So what is that and how can I join? Am I too old? Okay. I, I take Love that question. Now. Great question. So you know what happened just on Tuesday in Bristol Bay, right? No. Okay. So you got to keep your notifications on even when you're doing stuff like this. What, the... what do I set up for Bristol Bay salmon? What, what, is, what notifications? Well, so in Bristol Bay, they had this mine that was going to that was going to uh, destroy like the world's biggest sockeye fishery. Um, and it, it's just gorgeous. If you look at the photos, look at Bristol Bay in Alaska. And um, basically everyone was opposed to that. Anyway, I, I was just bringing that up because it's super relevant. Um, we have such a similar problem here in Idaho and it's been going on for, for nearly nearly 75, maybe almost a century now, where Idaho really is, Idaho is where fish come to spawn. It is the, um, it is the capital of, of anadromous fish in, in the lower 48. And, um, you know, when, um, when you talk to people who kind of grew up before, you know, the, the, Columbia River was colonized. Um, you see, you, you hear these stories of, of, you know, huge fish swimming up the river, millions of them, turning the rivers red. You know, you've heard of, of Redfish Lake, you've heard of the Salmon River. They got their names because of these, these huge salmon. And salmon are such like an incredible uh, creature because, you know, if you think about what a river does is it erodes the streams and it takes, you know, dirt and sediment down and out to the ocean. And there's nothing bringing that back ever, right? Mm-hmm. So our, our continents are turning into, into the ocean, right, over time. Except they're not because of wild salmon and steelhead, which go to the ocean when they're really small. And then they come back huge. And they bring back all this sediment and, and all this nutrition for our ecosystems, for our animals, for our people. And um, they're incredible. And it's such an interconnected network because, you know, the orcas out in uh, in Seattle and Puget Sound also never learned how to eat seals. They they've on, they only feed on salmon. And why would you why would you eat seals when you can eat these beautiful huge fish? 
Um, well, in, in the 50s and 60s, they started building these dams on the lower Snake River, four of them, mm. um, which are to facilitate, they were built to facilitate barging out of, out of Lewiston. It's the furthest inland port in, in the world, I think. Um, but the, these dams are driving wild salmon and steelhead to extinction. And they're destroying uh, this way of life that has existed in Idaho for since time immemorial. You know, the tribes, uh, this is such an, an integral part of, of their cultures and their heritage. And then also, you know, thinking about the ecotourism and fishing and rafting industry here. Um, and that's oh all dying goodness. because of these, of these dams that were built really without a purpose, you know, and, and you think of dams, I think we've kind of been brainwashed into thinking of dams as this positive thing. And, you know, in many ways they are positive, but most dams actually do not prevent flooding. So these dams don't, um, these dams aren't generating this power that, that we can use here. in Idaho. you probably use it in, in Los Angeles. So, so maybe <laughs> oh, you want to go and use protectors, turn off your lights. <laughs> um, but but we don't use it and and it's actually not producing enough power to really be economically viable and we as taxpayers are subsidizing every barge that goes down these dams by $25,000 a barge because um the train is actually cheaper so they had a train the whole time along the snake river and instead they decided to build these these dams um and so what you sand protectors is working to do is bring youth across Idaho, Oregon, and Washington, across the Northwest, and across the, the tribal nations together to fight for breaching the dams and, and saving wild salmon and steelhead. Um, and it's such a, it's something, it's such a source of like joy and passion for me because this is something that, this is the most important ecosystem restoration project in America right now, wow. uh, maybe in the world. And it's happening. Uh, we're seeing immense progress from Republicans like like my congressman Mike Simpson, um, who actually released a, pr a proposal just uh, a couple of years ago to breach wow. the dams. Wow! You know, you never thought you'd hear it. You, you'd hear someone congratulate a Republican on, on an environmental issue, but um, here we are. And and then Washington Washington senators are following suit, and the the governor of Oregon likewise. And so we we have this immense momentum towards breaching these dams. Um, and it's just been incredible, you know, networking with thousands of, of youth across uh, across the Northwest. To, to so, so this this blows my mind because you just gave a treatise on the uh, history and importance of salmon and uh, ecology and tourism uh, that most of which I didn't know. And this isn't actually even what you are doing in office or, I mean, maybe there's really, like if you have this much energy and awareness of salmon in Idaho, how did you wind up doing what you're doing now on the school board? <laughs> That's a really good question. I, I ask myself that all the time. <laughs> um, well, I got my start in, in activism. I guess my, my story with with being politically involved started really in seventh grade, learning about climate change. And I was lucky to grow up in a school district, the Boise School District, where we teach climate change and we teach science because it's not yes. part of K-12 state science standards. It wasn't at the time. It was added later. Um, and then it was taken mm -hmm. out again last year. And so I, I was super lucky to have access to that climate education. And and it was kind of a two-week unit in, in earth science. And we learned about the causes, consequences, solutions, you know, the greenhouse effect and the effect on biodiversity and, oh, no, the penguins and, and also, oh, no, like poor people. 
and and then we didn't really learn like what we could do about it. Right. And so for like a year and a half. So basically um, they give you a two week unit to just scare the pants off of you and leave you totally powerless as you continue your seventh and eighth grade education. Yeah, basically. Yeah. It was, it was, huh. it was paralyzing. And, and I remember, you know, doing all this recycling stuff and taking cold showers and I stopped buying new clothes. This is a, a thrifty jacket, believe it or not. It's a very nice um, jacket. I, I know Patagonia. Huh? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, stop eating meat and, and then, you know, a year goes by and I've done all these things and we're still, the, the planet is still warming and I'm still like gripped by this, like this climate anxiety. And, um, it was, it was one of the first weeks of, of seventh or, or ninth grade. Um, I was walking uh, after school with some of my friends and I saw a poster advertising a climate strike, um, the September, 2019 global climate strike. And this is really like when Greta Thunberg like got her name. Yeah. Um, and, um, we decided like, let's go see what that's all about. And I remember like our, our capital is kind of like built to hide protests, you know, very strategically. So it's, it's positioned to step. You can't really see the steps from, from any side of the, of the capital unless you're like right in oh. front of them. Wow. And I remember, you know, walking towards the capital from school and then turning the corner and seeing the steps packed and hearing all this noise all of a sudden. And in like that moment, um, this sense of like isolation that I felt around climate change really turned into one of empowerment. Like what if we really could do this? Yeah. And so I started organizing with the sunrise movement, um, later went on to, to start the extinction rebellion here in, in Boise and, um, you know, started really organizing for climate justice. And one of the groups I got involved with was the Sierra club's Idaho climate justice league, which was this really small group of, of like high school, junior high students working to, um, get a clean energy commitment and long-term sustainability plan for our schools. And that this was a big deal because, you know, every government really needs a clean energy commitment, needs a long-term plan right. to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and mitigate the effects of climate change. So, it, right. you know, it makes a lot of sense. And then also kids care a lot about climate change. It's the number one most important issue for Gen Z, but it's number eight worldwide. And so it is like super important for, for people who are in schools. Um, and so it makes sense that climate action should start in school. Yeah. And we started organizing, you know, we were sending postcards, we were writing letters, we were uh, emailing and asking for meetings, and we didn't really get the engagement that I think we deserve from, from our, our school board members. It was really hard um, working with them. And you could kind of see that, you know, typically when you email your city council member or your legislator, they respond right away and they, you know, they invite you to a meeting and stuff. But you could see that this office- Wait, really wait, 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 wait. Has that been happening for you? Have you been writing your city council members and your state legislatures and getting meetings with them even before all this? Yeah, you know, a, a little bit. Yeah, I, I think so. <laughs> okay. Um, just, I think well, most it's nice people have Idaho, actually- it's not, it's not like LA, you know? I mean, honestly, you know, anywhere. I think that if you talk to most people, they would not have ever had the experience that you just said you were having in high school of writing a representative hearing back and then taking a meeting with them or, or hearing back at all. And here you were age 14, 15, whatever, already practicing that. That's incredible. I mean, put it out there. When you email your city council members, they better email back. That's right. <laughs> That's <laughs> you know? right. Um, and, and they do. I mean, they'll email you back a lot more than your senator will. Um, mm -hmm. So those, those elections are a lot more than Joe Biden will, for sure. Um, so those <laughs> yeah, elections are important. Bastard still hasn't emailed me back. Yeah. <laughs> it's like what's he even doing in there you know just like sitting on his butt <laughs> um but yeah so you know you could kind of tell that 
they weren't they weren't really being responsive responsive to to constituents and and, and particularly students. Um, you know, the the primary stakeholders in our education, and we weren't really we didn't really have our voices heard on the school board. Um, and so we did ultimately pass this collective commitment to clean on a clean energy, but it took a, a really long time. And, and rather than go through the board, we ended up having to do this whole press escalation and, and we ended up on the front page of some of the newspapers here just because, you know, we were organizing so much and we organized some climate strikes and stuff. Um, but it, it was really frustrating. And, and I remember thinking, well, we need students need representation, right? We, we deserve a say in our education. It makes sense that students should be involved in, on all decisions, but particularly in education. And so um, after after this commitment was passed and, and the school district kind of set on its way to establishing a clean energy, um, a, a long-term plan for, for clean energy, um, I, I started looking at the election and, and I noticed this, the school board election was September 6th and my birthday, my 18th birthday was August 30th. And so hey, um, all right. I was like, well, I could, I could be the first. And so I, I decided to, to run and, and, um, and that's just this past year we're talking, this was 2020. Yeah, this was junior year. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I got some friends together and I was like, Hey, I'm going to run for school board. And we did it. We like put together a website, raised a ton of money, knocked on countless doors, really, I think really capitalized on, on the youth vote for sure. And, um, we won with like 55% of the vote. That's incredible. And when you say 56% of the vote, by the way, uh, okay, thank you. you. When you say, I'm not going to let you short yourself a percent. That's the, you fought for that. When you say the youth vote, like you, the youth vote turned out for you. What's even more amazing about that to me is that most of the youth votes that were your peers were too young to vote. You yeah. actually had to reach an older vote to get the youth vote that could support you. Uh, yeah. And, and you were able to do that. Now, one of the things, I mean, there are so many aspects of this election that I think are fascinating, but one of the things that really sticks out is kind of where, like, you know, I wouldn't have imagined that a school board election in Boise, Idaho would be the nexus for so many enormous issues, but I really think it is mm. because your uh, opponent in that election, who was the incumbent, who, so you unseated an incumbent with a nearly 13 point margin, which is also incredible. Yeah. But there was that there was that episode that happened with a week or two to go in the campaign where he was endorsed by a local far right, like extremist group. And yeah. and if I get this right, he refused to denounce that endorsement. He refuses to, to, to like denounce that group or 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 give back the support. And and you rightly called him on that. And and then I think that tipped some like people on the fence, you know, to get off the fence and, and choose their fighter. What does it feel like in this moment where you got into the school board because you like you just said, you have all these other things and you especially climate motivated and and seeing how the schools are actually ginormous, you know consumers of of fuel in order to power all the buildings and to keep the lights on for the students and everything right so it makes sense that that was like a place you could focus those energies but schools have also become the focus of so many people in this country who are trying to erode public education or democracy in general or lgbtq rights or you know or racial equality like it's become the nexus of all these other issues that's not necessarily why you got in but 
it seems like it's kind of part of what you're doing there now, right? Does it feel like that to you or does it not feel like, do you feel like, no, I'm actually able to focus and be very narrow about this? Um, well, yeah, I mean, I have three focuses serving on, on the board, clean energy, mental health, and, and combating extremism. So it certainly is, is up there. I think growing up in Idaho and especially as a climate activist in, in Boise, the reality of, of extremism and the reality of far right white supremacy has kind of existed like throughout my life. And so I, I remember, you know, this group that that endorsed my opponent, who actually is, is a really great guy. Um, but this group that had endorsed him, I remember in ninth grade, one of the first protests we organized, um, we came to like block the street. And, you know, we're just like freshmen in, in, in junior high. And these, <laughs> these dudes show up from from Caldwell, so not even from Boise, with AR-15s at, at our rally. And, and what? It was it was terrifying. It was like, what is going on right now? Um, and you know, they just stood there and, and really tried to intimidate us. And I think so. Wait, wait, wait. Someone... You you're a group of how many of you of, of like you freshmen, sophomores in high school are there? Like maybe like a hundred of us. There's a hundred of you, so a pretty sizable group. And you're out there to protest yeah. for you know for climate awareness. And yeah. a group of out of town dudes with AR-15s show up to stand nearby and intimidate you. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was terrifying. And then afterwards it was infuriating and, um, you know, just realizing like, like we could, we could have been shot, right. But it, it could have turned into, you know, one of those headlines that we hear from Idaho all the time. Yes. Uh, and, and, and this was that same group. And so seeing this rise in extremism that, that happened across the country happened really started in, in Idaho. Um, Idaho, I think, is really this testing ground for extremism. So we saw all the critical race theory legislation. Uh, we saw all the anti-LGBTQ plus legislation really start here in Idaho. Um, and I remember just like the summer before, like the the school year before I ran, um, we'd seen really these attacks on, on education right, right in our vicinity. So Boise is surrounded by, uh, Boise is, uh, a community that that will will not give into extremism, and I think we saw that with with my election. But um, we're surrounded on all sides by by communities that are threatened by, you know, these these far right forces, and and we saw uh, a school board in in Nampa, which is kind of an exurb, be taken over by by these extremists, and then they went and banned twenty two books, um, for mostly for po- political reasons. Um, and, and how long and ago was them, that? Was that recent? Yeah, that was last probably a year ago to, to the day, maybe in April okay. yeah. um, of last year. But three of those books were were AP literature and composition books, like on that reading list. That, so oh this my is god, the class that I'm in now. Uh, so those students are now disadvantaged to, to their peers around the country because right. of these book bans. And and then we we saw this again with that same group, the Idaho Liberty Dogs, overtaking a Meridian, which is a, a suburb of Boise, a Meridian. Uh, library board meeting and and demanding that over 200 books be banned and some of those books weren't even in, in the library um <laughs> they're asking to ban books that they've heard about online that aren't actually even in the library of the small town oh my god exactly exactly um and and so when these this organization endorsed my opponent it was it was frustrating because someone who's a leader in our community should understand the threat that extremism poses particularly to our schools. 
based on everything that's going around um, in, in, in neighboring cities. Um, I think my opponent's refusal to, to disavow in that case was really indicative of a tolerance of extremism that can only serve to harm Boise students, only serve to harm Boise's LGBTQ plus youth, only yeah. serve to, to um, you know, uh, once you tolerate that, yeah. um, it, becomes, it becomes the norm. Well, and, it's like and, you said, he, you know, even if he's a good guy, right, even if he strikes you as like a, a decent minded guy, if he's not sensitive to the threat of these groups, I mean, this, you know, this is getting very, very serious all over the place, especially in Boise and around Idaho. And if he can't pick yeah. that up, that's that's a real bummer. Well, and, and I think the last straw was really when this this organization, a student at my school, Boise High, brought a, a gun to school or it technically wasn't on campus. That was, his, that was the big thing. He brought a gun onto the sidewalk of school to show his friend. Okay. And, um, and it was terrifying. Like we went into lockdown. It was like really bad. So a um, student in high school brought a gun to the school, but stopped short of coming into the building. Right. And, and that's, I mean, in this day and age when there are school shootings every other week, that's terrifying. Oh yeah. It was like, it was like a week after a school shooting and then the next week was, oh was involved in. so it was, it was terrifying yeah and so he, he was suspended and then he was not allowed to walk at graduation and this this group the idaho liberty dogs organized an armed rally outside of our school um to demand you know access to guns on schools or something jesus and, and that was that was really frightening and, and my peers and i we organized you know we we made like a blockade on, on the steps and we like did chalk art and stuff um, but it was just so, you know, to have that happen within our district and then to see one of our district leaders fail to fail to see that as a threat was, yeah. um, I think really was really dangerous and, and a little bit insulting to, um, you know, students who, whose like lives are at stake right here in our school. Yes. Not, not even a little bit. You know, I think you said it beautifully at the beginning of this conversation, Students are the primary stakeholders in education, and they're the ones with the least voice in the decision-making around education, what gets taught, yeah. like what the environment is going to be like, how things are run. But education impacts them the most. I mean, everybody who lives in society is impacted by the way we educate kids. Right. Right? I think we're all stakeholders to a degree in education. Well, yeah, so in integral to our communities. But the students, I mean, like the education you receive, you know, you've got me thinking that like there it seems to be something a little special in the Boise school water. And if and if it can produce students like you and your peers who are able to organize counter protests to armed, you know, local militia groups or whatever, it helps understand why the debate about what gets taught. You know, like if you hadn't learned about climate change in seventh grade, your trajectory could be totally different now. And the kids who are not able to learn about that stuff because somebody's taken it off the off the reading list or are not able to learn about African-American history or are not able to learn about these things and be activated, be energized, be be, you know, taken off the seat and in into the game of like changing the way we do things. It, it is very you know, you can see how this is a long game. It's not it's like this is going to unfold over you know, this year, next year, the next five, 10, 20 years. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head with that. And I think that's why we're seeing Republican politicians around the country move to censure education because, you know, I don't know a single one of my peers 
who legitimately is concerned about having a, a trans girl in, in the girls' locker room or having a, a LGBTQ plus people in, in their school. I, I don't know a single, a, a single person my age who wants to ban any books or, or doesn't believe that climate change is, is real and, sh- and should be a priority. You know, Republican or Democrat. I mean, I'm, I'm in Idaho. And um, <laughs> I think what we're seeing around the country with these attacks in education is it's not coming from students. Honestly, it's not really coming from most parents. It's coming from people who want to, to, to maintain control. And, and we see it in, in the voter turnout, too, where the Republican Party is a policyless party. And, and hence, they've lost the Gen Z vote. You know, super majority yeah. of my generation votes Democrat. And I think, you know, that, that's why we're seeing these attacks. And, and I just wish that people like Ron DeSantis, people like our Lieutenant Governor Janice McGeehan, people in our legislature who I think do mean well, I wish they just understood that their rhetoric is, is actually hurting and, and taking the lives of, of students around yeah. the country and in our, in our communities. Especially a lot of the anti-trans and anti- Yeah, uh, especially that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it really, lives really are on the line with this, with yeah. this rhetoric. Um, you invoke the name of Janice McGeehan and uh, mm-hmm. uh, what a, what a character. So, you know, I, I got to watch the video of, um, of you uh, speaking at, well, you know, maybe we should start here. Can you tell us what the, I think it was called the Indoctrination in Education Task Force. I think that's what it was right. called. Can you tell us what that was? So our Lieutenant Governor, well, like I said, all the, the critical race theory stuff um, where, you know, community, you know, they made critical race theory, this boogeyman um, mm-hmm. and, and are now using it to, um, to, to censure American history. Um, all of that really started here in Idaho with the passage of a bill, I believe it was House Bill 546, um, when I was a sophomore. And this bill banned the teaching of critical race theory in Idaho schools. Now, We've never taught critical race theory in Boise schools. We've never taught it in K-12 because it is not something that can be understand understood with a K-12 education, right? This is something that, that's taught in, in law schools. This is something that that takes, you know, a vast amount of, of comprehension to, to really um It's abstract really stuff. It really is. It's, it's super abstract. Um, but, you know, this was used really as, as this way to, to suggest that our schools are indoctrinating our students and that our teachers are forces of, of evil. And I think here in Idaho, we, we have this organization called the Idaho Freedom Foundation and it's funded by these, it's dark money funded. We don't really know, but it, it, we're pretty sure it's funded by these out-of-state organizations that really want to introduce legislation such as this in Idaho and then have it spread to other conservative states. Right. And the stated goal of, of Wayne Hoffman, the president of the Idaho Freedom Foundation, who doesn't even live in Idaho, is <laughs> oh my to, God. It's to abolish government schools, to abolish public education in our state. Wow. Um, I mean, just that freedom, that they're using the word freedom and it, in order to abolish education, which is how people become free. I mean, that is an insane Orwellian cruelty. The hypocrisies, cruelty. Just, they just add up. The hypocrisies just add up. Yeah. But they use this you know, critical race theory to, to undermine our schools. And then what what Janice McGee and our lieutenant governor did and, and her kind of 
Goonies, Priscilla Giddings and Scott Yenner and, and all the like, um, is they started this task force to figure out who is teaching our, our students Marxist ideology. Yeah. And turns out at the end of at, at the end of the summer when they ha- held this task force, they, they couldn't find one verifiable case of of Marxist teaching in our schools. Surprise, surprise. Oh my um, God, wow. And they, they couldn't even define critical race theory because none of them, except for Scott Yenner, I think, had had law degrees. Um, and if they did define, if they did actually define it, then they would have to admit it's a farce, right? They keep it vague so that they can keep the, the investigation exactly. as wide ranging as possible. Exactly. But what infuriated me the most about this task force is they brought in an expert from New Zealand. They brought in someone who had moved in from California, had been in Idaho for, for two weeks and had already seen uh, indoctrination in our education, which was crazy wow. because she came during the summer when school wasn't even in session. But anyway, <laughs> they brought in all these out-of-state experts. They didn't even listen to their own people. They didn't let teachers testify. They didn't let students testify until the very last committee meeting. And that was when school had already started. Uh, and that's what infuriated me. And, and that's what infuriates me about this conversation about grooming and this conversation about all, all the things that, that we hear from the far right um, in schools is they're not hearing from students. They're not hearing from teachers. They're, they're just hearing from, from the people who have something to gain by, by getting rid of education. And those are not yeah. the best people in our society, right? These are not the, the experts. Um, <laughs> and it, honestly, it is just so incredibly insulting to, to students and to our teachers who work dang hard, especially during a pandemic to to educate our public and, and prepare you know thousands of students for you know for a career in college and citizenship it, it is something that oh i i just makes me so mad yeah yeah it, it it truly is infuriating the whole thing was like a dog and pony show for their for their ultra conservative base ignoring yeah. any of the any of the actual stakeholders the employees of and students within the, the education system and exactly oh my god well watching you speak uh, and watching you fend off what felt to me like extremely condescending uh behavior from them towards you when you were at the podium um was to me a lesson in civic behavior i also um you 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 spoke your own words, but you also spoke on behalf of one of your classmates who wasn't able to get there in time, one of your schoolmates. I think her yeah. name was Yvonne, I think you might have said. Yeah, who, and she, she was a freshman at the time. And one of the things that you read f- from her was knowing and acknowledging that parts of America's past were racist does not mean that we've been indoctrinated, right? The idea that indoctrination isn't learning about the past, right? That's not right. what indoctrination means and to have this this freshman student be able to advocate for her desire to learn our shared history and be the only grown-up in the room of grown-ups and she wasn't even in the room you know to be able to say that it's it's strange and fascinating and appalling that you were even in the position to have to to do that you know you and and she and, and your peers um you know, it strikes me that, as we were just saying, the, the 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 weird nexus of issues that you occupy, climate change was one of your issues, mental health was your second issue, and combating extremism, which is such an enormous umbrella. I mean, all three of them really are enormous umbrellas for you to take on in your time on the school board. 
And I have been looking into Idaho, you know, for the people who don't live in Idaho, um, it's not a state we talk about a lot. It's like, doesn't get a lot of news, but like you said, there are some people who talk about Idaho a lot. Otherwise there wouldn't be a bunch of dark money flooding in to try to shape the way Idaho conducts itself. And you mentioned looking at like it, at least these these school board fights and and tasks you know task councils and stuff as kind of a, a proving grounds for for otherwise national you know uh, ideological trials and focuses. And I look at Idaho. You know, there were a handful of state capitals that were sort of overrun by people before. Um, before the federal capital was overrun. And I know Idaho was one of those capitals. Like in, in August, I think, of 2020, there yeah, were... Yeah, Eamon Bundy. Yes, Eamon Bundy. Yeah. Of the Bundys was there, you know, like helping whip up this frenzy. And they barged in and apparently, like, at least some of them were armed. And they took over the state capital in, in protest of, what was it, anti-COVID stuff or COVID measures like that? I think took over is a, a strong word. Ammon Bundy was escorted out, handcuffed to a chair. It was a great photo. <laughs> good, good. I have to find <laughs> yes. that photo. That's good. Yes. There, there was, yeah. But you know, like j- just like the sort of occupation of the uh, of the state house during COVID, um, like this is before vaccines, like during real raging, it's still lethal to everybody. COVID, um, and not wearing masks, obviously not social distancing, not doing any of the mitigating efforts. You know, this was a time when Idaho was kind of like the one of the highest infected rates in the country anyway. Mm. And, and I look at that behavior and I look at like some of the other stuff that's springing up around. Why do you think Idaho is like the, the magnet for this right now? What do you what do you think it is about Idaho that like is commi- is commanding this influx of far right extremist attention? Here's what I think it is. Idaho, if you look at the, elect, the the turnout for our local elections, yeah, it's low, and people don't understand um, the the role that their local elected officials are playing in making the decisions for our state and for our country. And so everyone votes their conscience, and and honest, like Idaho is full of really good people, and and then those people get to the state house, and and they are convinced of these things that don't exist. Um, and and they are in a sense indoctrinated by these this big money organization that that has the answers, Whoa. right? And I think what, but when you look at the polling, the things that Idahoans really care about are not the things that our elected leaders are are acting on. You know, Idahoans don't really care about critical race theory. They don't really care about you know grooming or whatever they people say is happening in schools. They care about funding education because we're un, until recently, well, hopefully by the end of the session. We were 51st in the country. Now we're 49th. We may be, we may move up this session. We'll see. In in per pupil education funding, they care about providing healthcare to to the people in in the medic the Medicaid gap. Yeah. They care they care about protecting open spaces and protecting the Idaho way of life. And and maybe that's a little different than than protecting open spaces in California. You know, we still have grazing and everything, but we we want to keep our lands open and accessible for everyone. Yeah. And when you look at the polling data, those are the things that Idahoans really care about. Yeah. But then when, what you see our elected leaders acting on doesn't really align with those things. And I think it, it's fundamentally because people aren't 
holding these leaders accountable. People aren't, aren't voting in their local elections. People yeah. aren't running for local office. I mean, Idaho, Idaho is the state of Senator Frank Church and, and Cecil Anders. This is where some of the best environmental policy ever came, came out of. And I think that sentiment still exists in, in the heart of most Idahoans. Yeah. But it has been co-opted and kind of fear-mongered by the Republican Party and by, by these big uh, kind of dark money organizations and central committees to be really this pawn for this greater national scheme that really has nothing to do with the needs of everyday Idahoans. I'm going to need to send you a pizza or something because you just so <laughs> articulately I'll take spoke it. the thesis of this podcast, which is, you know, the, the turnout is so low in a lot of these local and state elections, which is, is, is a good thing and a bad thing. The good thing is the opportunity to change things, very easy, low hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. If you, tur- if you amp up turnout by a small amount, you can take a lot of offices and change a lot of things. And the downside is if turnout remains low, then you are you are creating a vacuum where any yeah. kind of influence, any kind of money, any kind of like from in-state, from out-of-state, whatever, can get in there and fill the void where an informed citizenry would normally make their own decisions. And in a state like Idaho, which is so low population, but so resource rich, you have this enticing little apple where people from out of state who kind of think that they might be nice to change how those resources are managed, maybe create a model that other states with similar layouts could follow. That's where you could start. That I think your theory makes a lot of sense, Chief. Well, and, and Brian, I liked how you said informed citizenry. They're really taking citizenry and informed out of government, right? Getting rid of education and then, you know, reducing access to government um, yeah. really is, is how these things happen. But I would I would point out some things that we've seen just in the last few years in Idaho that show kind of a shifting narrative. We've seen Reclaim Idaho, a grassroots organization which has never raised more than a couple hundred thousand dollars um, from from grassroots Idahoan donors, um, got nice. Medicaid expansion on the ballot. And then the Idaho legislature, and, and it passed with, with a supermajority. Because um, it was a ballot measure, which means that people voted on it. Right. Yeah. And then the Idaho legislature tried to restrict the way that we do ballot measures and uh-huh. reclaim Idaho sued and they won and they won hands down in Idaho Supreme Court so much so that Idaho Supreme Court said, actually, the state needs to pay reclaim Idaho for their legal fees because they did the job that the attorney general should have been doing. Damn. This is a grassroots organization. Two, three, reclaim Idaho then organizes another ballot measure to fund $400 million for $310 million for, for Idaho public schools paid for by a corporate tax, a tax on the top 1% of income earners and restoring the corporate tax to what it was before a series of tax cuts that the legislature wow. passed. And this was this would move our state from 51st to 49th. Well, IACI, the Idaho Association of Business and Commerce or, or whatever, was so scared about this corporate tax because it had so much potential to pass that in August, the governor called the special session of the legislature and they passed the tax beforehand. And instead of, of instead of doing it through corporate tax, they did it through sales tax because there was some unappropriated sales tax from the surplus in the budget. Interesting. And, and we now have $400 million for Idaho public schools, 310 for K-12, 90 million for, for higher education. That's oh my grassroots. God. Two, Janice McGeehan. Janice McGeehan, Priscilla Giddings, Dorothy Moon, they all lost. Dorothy Moon was, was running for secretary of state. She wanted to take over our election process and 
and make it so that, you know, only white men could vote or something. I, I don't, I don't, when will she figure out she's a woman? I don't know, but <laughs> she lost. And, and we got in the secretary of state who was just featured in time saying that voting should be as easy as, as buying, as buying a sandwich. That that's a quote from him. I think that is Janice McGinn, after her task force that was solely created. I mean, the, the only benefit that she got from that task force was more publicity, right? Right. This national right. publicity. Well, she right. lost when she ran against Governor Little, the education governor, for, uh, for, for, for the governorship. Priscilla right. Giddings ran for lieutenant governor. She lost too. So Idahoans, I would say, are waking up to what's going on in our state government. And this thing that the Idaho Republican Party has done and our legislature has done with our state politics is, is starting to fail. And th- this grip that we see on, on Idaho politics um, by these far-right forces it is eroding. Um, and I would point to one last thing, which is just last week, um, a chairman of House Judiciary, which is where they're actually going to pass a ton of the anti-trans, anti-abortion legislation, Oof, yeah. um, this, this legislative session, banned yeah. testimony from people under 18. Why'd he do it? Well, my high school, Boise High, is two blocks from the Capitol. And so kids walk down during lunch and go testify, and, and they don't like it because we're holding them accountable, right? Yeah. Well, he bans testimony from people under 18. And pretty soon, House local government, which oversees school boards, so that, this big uh-oh, and they're really trying to take away funding from, from cities, also yeah. bans testimony from people who are under 18. Ooh. Well, my friends and I, we start organizing. We get nearly, we get 30 ASB presidents from across the state. This is from Coeur d'Alene, where... This, I mean, that's where the Aryan Nations was founded. Yes. To, to Pocatello, to Twin Falls, to Rathdrum, to Sandpoint, to Moscow, to Boise. And they signed a big op-ed and, and it's published in every newspaper in the state. Um, I wrote the op-ed. Hi. Hey! <laughs> but, but next thing we know, they're getting rid of, of these, these bans. And, and so many people spoke out. The Meridian City Council, which is a suburban city council conservative, they wrote an, a resolution saying allow students to testify in the legislature. And just like that, that ban was gone. And so I think Idaho is, is not a lost cause. What we're seeing nationally with politics, Idaho is a testing ground though. And what we're seeing nationally with politics where you know they're taking over local elected offices and they're redistricting and, and they're changing the way that people have access to government. They did that in Idaho a few years ago. Yeah. And it worked for a little while, but then it stopped working. And, and now the tide is turning. And that excites me more than anything because that speaks volumes about what we're going to see around. The you just completely changed my opinion on Idaho, a state that I have spent <laughs> several days in in the past. So, so this is amazing. And you know, one thing about the way you talk about this stuff that I think is incredible that I want to highlight is, you know, I think especially on the left in this country, there's a little bit of an issue sometimes with like a kind of a hero worship you know like we want someone we want to elect someone who's going to be like be the person who solves the problem like we'll send you we'll put you in office and you'll go do it either for president or for whatever you know like we'll 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 find the person who's so charismatic and so thoughtful and so whatever but everything you have said all of the cool accomplishments you've done you keep coming back to like we my my, my peers uh, like uh, the the group of us we organized we did this we 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 gained support we got people all around the country to publish this op-ed. Like we, we, you know, I, I, so you wrote the op-ed, but you enlisted people from your cohort and all kinds of other cohorts to, to amplify it, to get on board, to, to spread that, that message far and wide. 
which is what public comment in these meetings is all about in the first place, right? If they ban under 18 people from showing up, then you don't have an option ever to get yourself on the record. And what you are doing so powerfully is fighting not just for yourself to be heard, not just to voice what you think, but you're fighting for everyone else you know around you to have the right to be heard as well. And watching you fight makes them want to exercise their voice. It is so, it is, it is, a, it is the most powerful, con contagious political, you know, organizing and activity that I, I've come across in a long time. And it's, it's a pandemic. Boise, you know, it's a, it's a pandemic of, of a organization. Pandemic. And thank God <laughs> it's just in time for a good one. Uh, oh, you know, you also, you mentioned, um, uh, the uh, the Idaho Supreme Court, which I think probably is a, a, a little bit of a conservative institution, I would guess. One oh, thing that really caught my attention was of the people who endorsed your run for um, school board, uh, one of them was Jim Jones, who mm -hmm. is a former attorney general of Idaho and a former chief justice of the Idaho Supreme Court and a Republican. I mean, like he's mm -hmm. not a big soft lefty. This is an old white Republican dude who endorsed you for um school board how how did that happen is this somebody you know like i mean obviously he was right and he has impeccable taste i can't fault him for that but like how did that happen well i had this connection from my salmon work and i and i called uh my friend and then i called my boss's boss and he's like sent me his contact and i called jim jones and I said hey will you endorse me and he said yeah oh my god incredible and i think I, I think that's a lesson for a lot of organizers is just ask. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I mean, I did the same with, with all the endorsements I received. And I think yeah. sometimes we're so afraid to ask for, for help. And, and like you said, it's, you know, we, we get stuck in this hero mentality that I think media sometimes, you know, pushes and, and we want to believe totally. Um, but every single political victory, every single victory that has ever occurred in the United States happened not by, some president, it happened by a community. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I want to tell you one more story. And, and that's about, and you know, we started with climate change and, and I'll finish with climate change. You know, I feel like throughout my career as an activist, I've been trying to get, trying to be heard. You know, I, you know, I thought if only, if only people would listen to me, if, or if only people would listen to, to young people, we would see climate action. And last year, in November, I, I had the privilege of, I got a scholarship to go to COP27, the UN climate conference Oh wow! Um, in yeah. Egypt, alongside a ton of other youth activists. And it was really cool. Uh, I'd never <laughs> been on a plane alone by myself. And next thing I knew, I was on a 36-hour flight to Egypt. Um, <laughs> oh my God. And um, I mean, it was awesome. I got to, to network with some really cool people. Vanessa Nakate, who is People call her the Greta Thunberg of Af Africa, but she's actually like way cooler than Greta Thunberg. And I think Greta Thunberg would admit that she's Ugandan climate activist. She follows me on Instagram. Just oh my there. god, wow, but, big one, yeah. So yeah, yeah, it was huge. Um, I was like, I was like crying. Um, but anyway, um, I go there and to, to cop, and, and I'm like, well, here we can finally make change. You know, President Biden is here. Um, the newly elected president of Brazil is here. All of the EU member states are here. You know. The entire world is here yeah. and all eyes are on Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt. Um, this is where we can we can do something. And for two weeks, I watched as world leaders sat around like they do every year and, and said, hey, climate change is really a problem. Oh, oh yeah, it really is. So do you want to do something about it? Mm, not so much. How about, how about you do something about it? No. Okay. 
this has been enough. Let's go home. Let's go to the G20. Uh, And I was so frustrated because this, you know, if this wasn't the solution, if global diplomacy wasn't the solution to climate change, what was, you know, where, how are we going to solve this existential crisis that we have to act on now, right now? And so, so then I went to Amsterdam because that's what you do when you get a free flight to Egypt is you just take the long way back. Absolutely. and I kind of sat around for three days and kind of had some time to myself. And and one day I took a train from from Amsterdam to The Hague. Um, and this is a, like a, a, speed, a bullet train, um, fully electric. And and as you ride the train, mm. um, you know, Amsterdam's kind of a cloudy city. But as you ride the train, the sun comes out and you see the tulip farms and, and the vegetable farms. Netherlands is, produces half of Europe's vegetables, even though they're like a tiny, tiny country. Wow. Um, and and you pass these solar these solar power plants and and you know and there's not a highway in sight and I remember thinking wait we never were supposed to solve climate change at the UN climate change will be solved on a local level it won't be solved at the General Assembly it won't be solved yeah, on Capitol Hill it'll be solved in the school board and it'll be solved at City Hall and it'll be solved in your neighborhood association meeting. And it'll be solved on, on, on podcasts like this, right? <laughs> and I remember like this whole like paradigm shift and realizing that really this experience that I've seen at a cop and, and that I kind of felt from world leaders kind of my whole life, you know, just kind of let us down. Um, yeah. yeah, you're right. Really was in a sense validating because all the work that we've been doing on a local level, all the work that we've been doing in Boise, in Idaho, every single tiny little win that stuff mattered. That was the solution to climate change. And, you know, I, I came back more motivated than ever to organize in Boise and to fight for, for our collective future because it really is in the community. That's where problems are solved. Yeah. Uh, it's on the local level. And um, I'm just super grateful to, to have a, a small part in that. Well, you know, it, it's it's incredible to see your vision in action, and I think I think you're right. I think your generation uh, has been saddled with a terrible future, and therefore is hopefully galvanized by that. And I think hopefully the rest of us will take our cues. But um, you know, even insofar as like you have this seat on the school board for two years, but my understanding is that you would like to keep that a seat for a student. So like you could serve for two years, but you're a senior in high school now, which means you'll be not in high school for your second year, which means it would not be a student seat on the school board any longer. Exactly. And so you've already working on a succession plan. Like I'm here now, but what comes after me? Exactly. Which is a remarkable foresight that so few of our leaders ever, you know, engage with. Yes, I got this seat, but then what am I preparing for? How am I ushering in the next generation of leadership who will take this seat? in a year or however long, right? And so that is exciting. How is that plan coming along, by the way? It's great. We're probably gonna be discussing it next week. Oh my God, congrats. <laughs> All right, exciting. Yeah. And then, yeah. I, and I would be remiss, and I'll, I'll let you go shortly, but I would be remiss because people who listen to this will will demand, it will be pissed if I don't ask, but like, what are your plans? I mean, you'll be graduating in, in the coming uh, spring. Do you know what you wanna do after that? Does anyone have long-term plans anymore? <laughs> um, <laughs> man, I like lived through a pandemic, man. Like, 
Yeah. And you're still asking things of me. You're right. No, you're totally right. I, I blame myself. That's a terrible question. I think the goal is to live. No, it's a great question. Everyone, everyone asks. Um, I'll be going to college, um, hopefully somewhere in the Northwest, but you know, maybe increasingly it looks looking like East coast. Uh, I, I hope to become, um, hopefully major in, in public policy. That's the plan right now. And, and then maybe become a lawyer and maybe an environmental lawyer and um, really work for, continue working for, for climate solutions and a just and equitable world for, for everyone. And the wins that we've seen, that I've seen here in Idaho on salmon, on you know the wins that we saw in, in Bristol Bay and um, the wins that, that we saw for, for education um, here, here in Idaho, mm. all happened, you know, thanks to a lot of people, but really, you know, thanks to litigation and thanks to the system that we've set up. Mm. And I, and I want to continue to be a part of that system. And so that's the plan for now. I also want to get a dog. Well, oh my God. Yes, do. I got a dog a few months ago, peanut butter. He's the joy of my life. So I think dog is on the list. Sure. And I pity whatever polluting interest crosses your path after you get your law degree, because they are in trouble. Likewise. Um, <laughs> so this has been amazing. I am so inspired. It's only seven o'clock in California. So I've got a few hours. I'm going to go change the world in some small way before <laughs> I go to bed. You're already doing it. Thank you so much for joining us today, Shiva. This is amazing. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate it. That's it for today. An interesting coda to some of what we talked about. Um, the white nationalist group that started in northern Idaho, the Aryan Nations, it was ultimately destroyed in 2001, not through armed confrontation, but through litigation. They were sued for their crimes and bankrupted out of existence. So when Shiva, a third generation Idahoan, says his biggest accomplishments came from litigation and he sees the future victories in his life coming that way as well, he's got history on his side and I'd say he's onto something. This episode was produced by me, Brian Hastert. Theme music by the Castell Brothers. If you live in Boise, you now know the name of at least one of your school board trustees. Congratulations. But if you live anywhere else, now is a great time to find out who represents you and what they are fighting for. Lives are at stake and the future is on the line. You can find Shiva Rajmandari on Twitter at underscore Shiva underscore R and on Instagram at Shiva underscore Rajbandari. You can also follow us on Twitter at Local Selection and on Instagram at Local Selection Podcast. If you like this interview, if you, if you think this stuff matters, please help us get the word out. Share this podcast with a friend. Give us a five-star rating and a great review wherever you're listening and subscribe to this feed so you can catch new episodes when they come out. Lastly, check out our website, localselectionpodcast.com, where you can find links to our Patreon and fabulous merch, all of which helps us make this show sustainable. And thank you for joining us today. See you next time in a new neighborhood. Yeah.